This podcast is brought to you by MedCloud. Get connected, cyber safe. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Vanguard podcast. And it's a special one today. One of the purposes of the podcast is to not only speak to inspiring and innovative people, but also to look at how technology is used to help people's quality of life and bring awareness to issues that may not necessarily be mainstream in the press or in our day-to-day lives. Today, I want to make our listeners aware of National Keratoconus Day, which is the 10th of November, and I want to talk about what it is, how it affects sufferers, and what is currently being done to identify and search for a cure. Therefore, it's my pleasure to welcome my first of two guests today, and he is Joe Boyd, who is Head of Sales and Marketing at Avellino, which is a leader in precision medicine and is making a global impact in genetics and bringing innovative diagnostics, therapies, and AI-driven data processing to patient care. My second guest joining me today is Dr. Brandon Ayres, who has been part of the cornea service at Will's Eye Hospital since 2005 and has been part of Ophthalmic Partners since 2007. He serves as an assistant surgeon at Will's Eye Hospital and is an instructor at Jefferson Medical College, Thomas Jefferson University. Dr. Ayres is an active participant in resident and fellow education and in clinical research. In his first year as an attending on the cornea service, he became the youngest recipient of the Golden Apple Award at Will's Eye. He continues to lecture nationally and internationally at numerous academic conferences, and one of his publications was selected as Best of Session at the American Academy of Ophthalmology for 2013. Dr. Ayres is board certified in ophthalmology and specializes in all forms of corneal transplantation. Gentlemen, thank you for your time and welcome to the Vanguard podcast. Great. Thanks, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here and join you and uh, Dr. Brandon Ayres today. Uh, my name is Joe Boyd. I'm the Global Head of Sales and Marketing for Avellino. I've been in the eye care industry for approximately 25 years. And, you know, I, I had a chance early in my career really to see the impact of working with people and being able to save and preserve vision had had on me. And, uh, and that's really what's given me the opportunity to continue to stay excited about the advancements in technology, uh, the work that doctors do every day to save and preserve vision for patients. And it's why I keep doing uh, what I do today. Uh, most importantly, uh, it's, it's a great opportunity to talk about what Avellino is doing. You know, we've launched a, a new genetic test to better help us understand some diseases that can really impact vision for patients. Uh, we're taking the work we're doing and understanding the diagnostic measures of how we can better understand and help identify these patients so that we can get them to earlier treatments. And where we want to go in the future is how we take that information and build upon that by um, editing and changing the genes so that we can bring vision to patients who may not have that. And then ultimately, down the road, we want to work on our artificial intelligence so that we are truly bringing precision medicine to doctors and to patients. And that fits right in line with our mission and vision here at Avellino, which is to deliver precision health globally, powered by genomics. And with that, you know, we'll be able to move away from this one-size-fits-all model of providing treatments and medicines to patients and really bring something that will be unique and very specific based on one's genetic makeup to influence how therapy or treatment is designed for patients. So thanks for having me here. That's great. One of the things that I've noticed that Avellino does is is obviously the genetic test that you've got. You've also got a, a COVID test that you do within the portfolio. 
Is there other tests that are in the pipeline? Obviously, you're not going to share all the all the trade secrets with us, but what are the tests and what are the diseases that Avellino can actually use AI and the scientific facts and basis that you have and, and, and the skills that you have within the company? What other tests and what other diseases do you think is possible for you guys to actually look at helping with or developing tests to be able to you know diagnose these diseases early on? You know, today we're looking at um, corneal dystrophies and we're looking at keratoconus, both of which impact patients and, and family members. Um, but where we will go in the future is, is looking at glaucoma. And glaucoma is one of the leading causes of blindness uh, around the world. And, you know, that is really exciting. If we can get in front of identifying these patients that are at risk for developing glaucoma and, and use the information to help bring the right therapies and treatments, that's very exciting. But we're not just going to stop at the eye diseases. You know, we believe that there are several unmet needs for many types of uh, diseases. We see it every day in the dental world as well as in the dermatology yep. world. And we think that we can take the technology that we've established and are developing within eye care and be able to bring that to other therapeutic areas as well. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for that overview. I'm going to introduce and, and bring in Dr. Brandon Ayres as an expert in infectious disease of the eye. Brandon, can you tell us a little bit about your career and, and how you have connected with the team at Avellino to, to work together to get a better understanding of, of genetics and early detection of these diseases? But also, can you give us a little bit of an overview of what keratoconus is? Obviously, if you haven't suffered from it, it's not a disease that everyone in the world knows of. I, I did a bit of a, a, an acid test today and spoke to a few people, and I think one out of five people knew what it was. Can you give us an overview of what it is and some stats around the disease? Because I think the general public should know about it. Sure. I, so I agree. The keratoconus is one of those that kind of goes under the radar many times. And just to give you a little bit of background about who I am and what I do, uh, well, my name is Brandon and I'm a cornea and anterior segment specialist in the Philadelphia area. And I work at a big eye hospital called Will's Eye Hospital. And so I am basically a medical doctor who specialized in the eye and then further specialized just in problems in the front of the eye. So I do a lot of repairing of the, the, the cornea and the lens for traumatic injuries or for people who've had surgery that's gone wrong. And we interface with patients on a daily basis with corneal dystrophies like keratoconus. So what is keratoconus? Kerato means cornea and cone means cone. And so keratoconus is what we call a ectatic disease of the cornea, where the front of the eye basically spontaneously changes shape and becomes more cone-shaped. So this is very similar to uh, looking through a or at a funny mirror at, at a carnival or something like that, where it distorts your vision. You can still see, but the images are distorted. This usually starts when you're in your, your teens or early 20s. So just as you're finishing high school or starting college and you're thinking about, you know, what are you going to do in your career? All of a sudden, you're sidelined by this disease that's causing progressive change in your vision. Suddenly, you're sitting in front of someone like myself in a specialty office and they say, hey, look, you've got this disease called keratoconus. And there's about a 20% chance that you're going to need a corneal transplant at some point in your life. Uh, that can be and is life-changing for many patients. For me, keratoconus is a, a daily occurrence. We have hundreds of patients with keratoconus, but in the real world, I say it's about one in 850,000 patients here in the U.S. Other studies have shown a much higher uh, incidence, maybe as much as one in 400. So 
There's definitely some regional variation as to how common keratoconus is. Keratoconus has both a genetic aspect and a environmental aspect. So there, there is factors on both sides that will determine whether a patient actually has the clinical symptoms and signs of keratoconus. We know that people with allergies, people with Down syndrome, people who rub their eyes, people who have other allergic symptoms, atopic dermatitis, things like that are, are more commonly seen with keratoconus. But we never really knew, and we still don't know 100%, what the genetic factors are. And that's what really drew my interest to Avellino, where now we are able to screen patients for multiple genes. Unlike some diseases, keratoconus is not a single gene disease. There's probably uh, well over 75 genes and over 2,000 variants of those genes that need to be screened, and that can give you a genetic risk score. And now we are able to actually look at the genetic risk, also look at the environmental risk, and try and come up with some kind of an idea uh, as to how likely somebody is to actually manifest the clinical signs and symptoms of keratoconus. Wow, fantastic. So with the, with the work that Avellino do with their genetic testing, is that really working to allow you as, uh, as a physician to get information on early detection? And does early detection help you treat a patient a lot easier or is there a, a faster road to recovery if early detection's made by having genetic tests or, or tests available from a company like Avellino? So here's where genetic testing fits in, in in my world and in the life of a keratoconus patient. In the United States, and I really think worldwide, the only therapy that we currently have can stop keratoconus from progressing. So there's a procedure called collagen crosslinking, which is treating the cornea with riboflavin or vitamin B2 and then UV light. And that has been shown to prevent keratoconus from progressing. We still don't have a cure for keratoconus. So whenever somebody comes in to see me, when they have keratoconus, I can't do anything about the keratoconus that I see in that patient right there. I can only prevent it from getting worse. So the beauty of, of genetic screening is not so much in the patient in front of me. It's in the family or in patients who we suspect may have keratoconus or are at high risk for keratoconus, looking at their genetic risk. And that helps us screen them earlier or more accurately or more often trying to detect keratoconus before or as soon as it becomes clinically evident so we can treat them. Because the, if we can treat somebody very early in keratoconus, we will stop all of the negative downstream problems that these patients have, needing specialty contact lenses, needing corneal transplants, maybe needing multiple corneal transplants dealing with corneal transplant rejection, corneal blindness. I mean, we can turn all of that off and tell a patient, you're not going to need all that scary stuff you looked up on, on your Google search. We're going to treat this very early and prevent all of that. So it's in the families, uh, family members of people with keratoconus where I find the most benefit. And screening patients who may be at high risk, high astigmatism, young kids uh, who are finding or seeing a change in their vision, they're, they're caught at their school and they, now they need glasses. Well, is it just glasses or is it keratoconus? Now we have another diagnostic tool to try and catch this earlier. Earlier detection means more rapid treatment. More rapid treatment means healthier patients lifelong. And Joe, to you, just how far in advance can the Avellino test diagnose or detect problems, and how does it help those patients? 
Well, the great thing about genetic testing is the genes don't change. And so the earlier we can identify these patients and detect the problems, the sooner that we can help get them to treatment. For example, just in the past two weeks, we had a one-year-old whose grandmother and mother both had a corneal dystrophy, which is a sight-threatening condition. They were both very concerned and trying to understand, you know, would the child have this so that they could start uh, increasing the monitoring and increasing the awareness if there are any visual changes. We did test the child and it helped us better understand which corneal dystrophy she had, therefore providing some sort of insight to the doctors who may have to treat this patient, as well as the family members on how they'll want to care for her. Right. So if you have a patient that comes in and sees you because they have an eye disorder, what is the actual test or, or how do you understand and, and, and diagnose someone with keratoconus? So we use two different devices for the most part. Uh, there's an awful lot of algorithms and, and diagnostic devices that we can use to look at the shape of the cornea because keratoconus is basically shape, uh, diagnosed by looking at the shape of the cornea. And we are looking for irregular astigmatism. And we find that using either a topographer, which basically looks at the shape of the cornea and converts it into colors, much like looking at a, a topographical map of a, a mountain range. Well, we look at the topographical map of the cornea, and there are recognizable patterns that uh, are recognized as keratoconus, and basically we're looking for irregular astigmatism. There's also a device that looks at the shape of the cornea called the uh, a Pentacam, and that's what's called a Scheimflug imaging system. It's just another instrument that may be a bit more detailed that looks at the shape of the cornea, and it can run algorithms to look for keratoconus. But again, it can pick things up early. Uh, and early detection is key, but genetics that we have to know to actually do the test to make the diagnosis. And so knowing the genetic risk, screening patients earlier is critical here because sometimes we can pick up on our, our topographies and tomographies, the irregular shape well before the patient even notices the change in vision. And the only reason that we would know to look is if we know that we have their genetic risk. Now, you can also make the diagnosis by looking at the patient through what's called a slit lamp. A slit lamp is basically a microscope turned on end so we can look at the, the shape of the eye using this microscope and we can see the actual defect or the misshape in the cornea. But by the time you can clearly see the cone-shaped cornea on the slit lamp, we've probably missed the boat. You know, if we can catch these patients before we can easily detect it with the eye, you know, with the microscope, maybe just detect it early on our imaging systems, that's where I think we can do the most good for these patients. And the genetic testing, early screening is what allows us to get the early tests and will allow the early treatments. MedCloud. Get connected. CyberSafe is our mantra. From tailored, managed security solutions to our next-generation cloud platform, MedCloud will drive your organization forward and help it thrive. You can keep up to date with us in all things cybersecurity by following us on Twitter at MetCloud underscore com. We're also on LinkedIn and YouTube. You can find the links to our social media pages and blogs via our website, metcloud.com.
If data had a sound, it could be this. The sound of important and sensitive information leaking out of your business. MedCloud. Get connected, cyber safe. Joe, just quickly back to you. Avellino is part of the World Economic Forum's Global Innovators Community. How is Avellino innovating in its industry and what is innovative in the next three to five years? Avellino is innovating because we are looking at complex genetic diseases such as keratoconus and corneal dystrophies, but we're not stopping there. We are moving beyond these two diseases, and we're going to be looking at glaucoma, which is one of the most common causes of vision loss in the United States and around the world. Looking at this disease, we're going to help doctors understand how patients who keep them up at night will be able to get better access to care. And as we look to move forward, the goal is, is how do we not only identify those patients at risk, but move into gene editing? as well as artificial intelligence. So ultimately, the goal for Avellino over the next three years is not only to be able to help doctors understand who has the disease, but offering gene editing as well as the artificial intelligence so that we can understand which therapies and treatments will be the best for these patients based off their genetic profile. Gotcha, gotcha. I know you specialize in the eye, Brandon, but as, a, as an MD and for other ailments and illnesses, you know, we were talking off air a little bit earlier about um, cystic fibrosis, and there are so many genotypes that can see to, to know that that individual's got a particular type of cystic fibrosis. What other diseases and ailments, or does every disease and ailment that the human body has, can that be detected using genetics? I don't know. And I think that it may be a slippery slope to start reading everyone's DNA to know what may happen to you down the road. Yeah. And I think that there's always environmental pressure. You know, you take your genetic makeup and then you can sort of make of it what you will. But I've got to think that environment plays a role as far as diet, exercise and, and the yeah. rest. But knowing your risk factors certainly can't hurt. So if you know that you've got a high genetic risk for uh, you know, a myocardial infarction or, or a heart attack, you know, you may be a little bit more careful with, uh, you know, how much, uh, how many cheeseburgers you eat and how much exercise you get. Yeah, for sure. But those single gene defect diseases, and, you know, we have a you know, Tay-Sachs disease, we've got cystic fibrosis, and, and there are others. Those are the ones that I think are probably the easiest to target because it's a single gene. We know what happens. In those patients, and if we can do, um, you know, so somehow you know replace that gene for patients, there I think we can do a lot of good. I, I do get a little bit nervous about you know reading everyone's DNA and sort of trying to predict the future for everybody. It, I think it's a bit of a slippery slope, but certainly looking at genetic risk, um, I think could be a big benefit for patients, especially if there are modifiable risk factors to try and prevent disease down the road. Yeah, we're getting into the George All 984 Big Brother approach, aren't we? When we when exactly, we start doing all <laughs> yeah. That. yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. Going back to keratoconus because we really want to make awareness of this on um, on World Keratoconus Day, of course. So, what is Nirvana for for you in the treatment of this disease? Is it absolutely being able to to see this early on, but also what should the listeners and their children and and their friends and family what should they look for if they're 
starting to have issues with their eyesight at the age groups you're talking about, what should they do? And what is the best form of action to try and, you know, I know you said there's no cure, but what is the form, the best form of action of treatment? Right. So, you know, you, you don't know you have a problem if you don't know what to look for, right? And so you, yeah. you have to know the, the symptoms. Here you're looking at, you know, a younger patient. And so we're talking, I've seen keratoconus as early as seven or eight years of age, but that's not typical. Usually it's teenagers, early 20s. You probably have needed glasses and now your prescription's changing. And every six months or so, the glasses need to change. You're getting more astigmatism, or maybe you're not seeing as well with those new glasses that you've gotten. Early in keratoconus, you really can't see it with the slip lamp microscope in the office. And not every eye care professional has a topographer which can, which can image the cornea. So we are really making an effort to put imaging devices in the offices, trying to make it very easy to get these imaging devices into the office of every ophthalmologist and optometrist, maybe even in grade schools, so that if there's a change in vision, you can get a topography. That's really where you make that early diagnosis. Because if we can get that topography, make a definitive diagnosis of keratoconus, then you can go right into an early treatment arm and stop the process in its place. Now, again, the pipe dream is, is know the genetics and, you know, treat it before it's even an issue. But right now we live in the real world and this is what we're dealing with. So younger patient, changing vision, glasses keep changing. You've got to get yourself into see an eye care professional where they can check the shape of the cornea to screen someone for keratoconus. And I would say if, if there's any comorbid conditions, asthma, um, seasonal allergies, eye rubbing, Atopic dermatitis, you know, maybe get right in and get a genetic screening to see if the genetic risk is high. And if you have a lot of risk factors on the environmental side, plus a high genetic risk score, really try and advocate for yourself and get in to see uh, a cornea specialist, even if it's just to say, you know what, you don't have keratoconus. You're going to sleep much better knowing that you've seen an expert in the disease and they can confirm or deny that you have that, that disease. Got it. That's that's really insightful. Really insightful indeed. Brandon, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is potentially give us a a patient story, and obviously it's anonymous. But I'd love to know um, the journey of a patient from diagnosing their issue to to where they are now, and 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 how they've how they've gone through that journey of of finding out what's wrong with them, and and how they've got through to where they are. Sure. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you kind of my turning point and where, you know, the, the family, because this is really a family story, not a single patient story, where it, it really hit home about how important genetic testing can be, not only to the patient in front of me, but siblings and even the, the parents of the patient. So this is a young, young man who came to see me, who's uh, late high school year. So very, very typical onset time uh, of keratoconus. By the time he got to me, he had obvious keratoconus, and we were able to enroll him in an FDA study and got him treated. So here, the patient was known keratoconus. We got him treated early. He's doing fine. But it's the rest of the family that's also my, my patient. We have a mom and dad who's just terrified that his three other brothers may have the same problem. Every time I would see my patient, they would ask, what about his brothers? I would screen the brothers at every visit. 
So about every three months, I'm taking three brothers. I'm putting through all the through all the testing, and every single one of them had just a little bit of a suspicious topography on exam. So we kept screening and kept screening. It's costing a lot. The, the family's coming back. The mom is terrified that her other kids are going to come down with keratoconus. And she probably felt a little bit of guilt that there is a genetic component and maybe this keratoconus came from, from the mom and dad. So we finally had access to the Avagen product. And we said, hey, look, we've got an idea. Let's take a look at the whole family screen the brothers for keratoconus. We already know the one brother has it, so we, we don't necessarily need to screen him. He's, he's already our, our index case, but let's just see what the genetic risk is for his brothers. Well, one of them came back moderate risk, and we are still following him very closely. The others came back low genetic risk. So that did a couple things. One, I no longer am screening these patients in the office every three months. There's still an environmental component, so I'm not going to ignore them, but now we're screening about once a year, the relief on their faces when I told them that their genetic risk was low was worth a million bucks to me, you know, knowing that we're treating not only a disease, but also the patient. The parents felt so much more comfortable in what we were doing and how we were managing. And I think they felt a little relief that, you know, maybe this was more environmental, a little bit less genetic. Maybe I didn't give my kids this disease. And the one brother who does have a moderate genetic risk, we're continuing to screen. We're not seeing any changes on his exam, but we can tell them, hey, look, we think you have a higher genetic risk for keratoconus. Don't rub your eyes. If you're having allergies, your eyes are itching, we're going to treat that. We're going to do everything we can do to prevent any progression of keratoconus. But if we see it, we're going to treat you right away. So each family member in that family, including the mother and the father, got some aspect of treatment by doing genetic screening. And that really taught me how powerful the, the, the test is and the, that genetic knowledge is at treating an entire family from patient to index case and even family. And that's really opened up uh, our office to offering genetic testing to other family members you know, of patients with known keratoconus or patients who are at high risk or suspicious for keratoconus. And so um, it's really been a great addition. I think it's ver a very powerful diagnostic test in the data it gives us on their genetic risk and also in treating the psyche of the patients uh, and being able to counsel them. And I should also comment, I think it'd be irresponsible for me not to comment. When we are doing genetic testing, you can't just do a test and say, hey, you're at high risk, good luck. There's got to be a way for those patients to, to speak with a counselor. And Avagen does offer genetic counseling. I don't have enough time to do that. We're very busy doing what we're doing in the cornea world, but you've got to do responsible testing. So if a patient wants to learn more about what that genetic test means more than I can tell them, they do have access to genetic counseling. I think that's a critical part of genetic testing. Oh, absolutely agree. Knowing people that suffer from diseases, as we've spoken about off, off air, I know the the counseling that's required in some cases, and I know the guilt the parents feel, you know, they don't know anything about it, but the parents are feeling so much guilt that they've given it to their children or, or whatever. So uh, I completely understand that. I can I can absolutely sympathize with those individuals as well. 
Your overview has been fantastic, Brandon. Thank you so, so much for making us aware of keratoconus on today's World Keratoconus Day and certainly making people aware of what the disease is. And, you know, if we can if we can get one person to understand what it is and they can go and get tested and we can help with the treatment, it's been absolutely well worthwhile. So thank you for sharing your knowledge and all the information that we can give to our listeners. Thank you for that. Well, thank you very much for having me. And I agree. We help one person. It's all worth it. Absolutely. But before you go, I have three quick fire questions for you. You know, these are just to finish off the podcast. Really love to, you know, just to get an understanding of who Dr. Brandon Ayres is, I guess. But my first one is, did you have a mentor in your early life or in your early part of your career? And how have they impacted you to where you are today? Well, I think we know we all have mentors and we, and we all kind of ride the coattails of other people. But this is going to sound very cliche, but I've got to say the most influential person for me probably was my dad or is my dad. You know, he modeled for me what it's like to be a physician, what it's like to be a father, you know, what the priorities are. And, you know, I would have to say that he rightfully so, and I don't think that this is a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. I think he's the most influential person in my life. And I hope that I'm the most influential person in my kids' lives as well. That's a great answer. So sadly, I lost my father about three weeks ago in Australia. And my last podcast, I dedicated it to my dad for the simple fact that he was my hero and he was my role model. He was my mentor. And I still, to this day, use quotes that he taught me. So not a cliche and certainly something to be proud of. Like you said, I hope one day my kids go through that stage and say I was, because at the moment they're teenagers and that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it takes a while to realize that, you know. Oh, uh, it does. Yeah. It does. Yeah, for sure it does. I'm going to bring Joe back in for a second. What, what, what do you wish you knew when you were 20 that you know now? Joe first, Joe Boyd. Wow. There, there's a lot of things I wish I knew when I was 20 years old that I knew now. Uh, first off, it'd be great to better understand how to uh, invest in stocks. Uh, you know, I, I think the, the common phrase is a fool and his money are soon parted. And if I think back to my 20s, wow, if I really had the awareness and insight and understanding of investments and investment strategies would have saved a lot of heartache uh, going through the 20s and 30s. Absolutely, mate. I completely agree with you. I think it's great. Dr. Brandon Ayers. All right. So you know a little bit about me and you know that I love bicycles. Yep. And I wish that I knew that I could be a competitive cyclist later in life. I gave up cycling thinking that, you know, my career in medicine was going to take all of my time and I'd have to give up athletics to do that. And and I now know now, and I, I know it because I've got friends who are still very active cyclists. Sports was a huge part of my upbringing. It, it kept me sane through medical school. And I really thought that I had to take a break from competitive sports, going through residency and fellowship. And I wish I didn't do that. I wish I'd stayed you know, more active and kept the athletic part up. Uh, I've now kind of returned to it a little bit later. But losing 15, 20 years of competitive sports kind of hurts inside. And I really wish that I, that I knew now that I could have stayed competitive and would have done it. I, I regret discontinuing some of my, uh, my athletic pursuits. But you know what? I'll move on from here. Yep. We can stay active and, and endurance sports well into your 60s and 70s. So I've got years ahead of me. So yeah, for sure. I'm coming back, race world. I gave up cricket for 10 years and I'm starting to play again. I still love it. I, I still think I can run around like a 25-year-old, which obviously I can't, but I agree with you. I, I intend to play for another 10 years if I can. So, And as for cycling, yep, I'm into it as well, as, as we quite rightly said. But when we get on Zwift, you're going to have a massive handicap compared to uh, me because you're, you're more athletic. I'll meet, I'll meet you out there in Zwiftopia. Yeah. 
Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Last one. And, and and again, I really want to thank you for your time today. But what futuristic invention from your childhood did you really think would be readily available now? Oh, this is the easiest one ever. This is the hoverboard. Oh. Growing up in the back to the future age. Absolutely. I was sure. I thought we had hoverboards like 15 years ago. I was yeah, so excited to get my first hoverboard and it just didn't happen. I was stopped at a stop sign, I think yesterday, and I saw a kid buzzing across the street on a hoverboard. And if we all think back to the Back to the Future and Michael J. Fox uh, on his hoverboard flying around the town square, it amazes me that we've had some sort of invention where kids are, are, you know, basically rolling on the hoverboard. And it's great to see. You know, that's not a unique statement. I've had probably three people that have been on the podcast that have said the same thing. And you know what? I'm the fourth, but I still love the DeLorean. So even though that was a 1970s, 1980s car, I still, I'd still have a DeLorean. That was a fantastic car. Oh, wasn't it? Thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate you making the time to, to allow us to be more aware of keratoconus disease and how people can take stock, understand what it is, try and get treatment for it early on. And, and what Avellino are doing with their, with their genetic testing to try and really identify this at a really early stage that people don't have to either suffer or um, they can get onto it a lot quicker and hopefully find a cure very, very soon. Thank you so much for your time today. And um, I really appreciate you speaking to me on the Vanguard podcast. Thanks, Scott. Thank you so much for the invite. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's very special episode of the Vanguard podcast. I've learned a lot from Joe about how Avelino are producing new tests to help doctors identify ailments and diseases quicker and therefore helping their patients get treatment sooner or better still, hopefully assisting in the discovery and development of cures. Brandon's in-depth knowledge of keratoconus was so informative and his passion to identify, treat and help patients is truly inspiring. As we both said at the end of our recording, if we can help one person understand this disease and get tested early enough to be treated successfully, we'll be very happy indeed. My thanks again to both Joe and Brandon for making themselves available and teaching us more about World Keratoconus Day and how genetic testing is paving the way to help find treatments and cures to genetic-related diseases. Thanks everyone for listening. Please remember to subscribe via your favourite podcast listening platform and remember, take care. Stay safe and keep on innovating.